after the events of chapter 44, we hear no more from Jeremiah. Now, there are a few other chapters, and we cover those. We'll, we'll see those in the next two, three weeks. But those chapters, as we go over them, realize are from earlier prophecies that he received during his ministry of 40 years. And he just collects them all together at the end. We'll see why in just a second. But he comes to the end of chapter 44, and that's the last of the pen of Baruch, of the prophecies of Jeremiah. And we don't know what happened to him. The Bible doesn't tell us. History, some say he took and hid the tabernacle at Mount Nebo. The tabernacle. Yeah, Jeremiah carried the tabernacle by himself to Mount Nebo. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But there's some theory out there that maybe he did that. Others have a theory that he carried the Ark of the Covenant into Ireland and hid it in a cave for generations of tourists to come and bow before, as they do to this day. Want to know where that one came from? just found this out this week. It's a Masonic legend. It comes from a Freemason's book from 1896 called The Irish Prince and the Hebrew Prophet, a Masonic tale of the captive Jews and the Ark of the Covenant. You know what else that teaches? That Jeremiah went up there with the Ark of the Covenant, hid it in a cave in Ireland. He produced offspring, and their offspring became uh, the Britons. And then they came across to America, and we actually are the chosen people of Israel. That we're of the line. Yeah. Yeah. You want to hear how ridiculous that really is? They say the Danish must have been from the tribe of Dan because they're Dan ish. <laughs> There's a third possibility, and probably the most likely. At least five ancient, very believable historians. Jerome was one of them, Tertullian was another. They said Jeremiah was stoned to death by his own people in an Egyptian city called Tachpenkes. That's probably what happened. But we can't say for sure. However he died, we can expect to see him in heaven, but it won't really matter because we'll be looking at Jesus. Skip chapter 45. Go to chapter 46. We're going to move quickly through this. I know we're already an hour into this, but how is that any different than any Wednesday night? So, come to the last section of the book of Jeremiah. Beginning now in chapter 46, all the way through chapter 51, the next five chapters are all judgments, nine judgments uh, connected to ten nations. Two are judged together. And then chapter 52 closes out the book. It's a history we've already seen in in a previous book in the Scriptures. But the next five are these prophecies all collected together by Jeremiah that he got across all of his years of prophesying. Verse 1 of chapter 46, that which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, note this, concerning the nations. That's big news. Because for 45 chapters, Jeremiah deals exclusively, almost exclusively, with the Jewish people. With his own, right? The nations of Israel and Judah are the subject of 45 chapters of prophecy, but God's call to him was far bigger than that. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah 1, verse 10, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. So though his main focus was Judah for these 45 chapters, we land in chapter 46 and all of a sudden we discover here come the prophecies for the nations. Now God is talking specifically to the nations roundabout. I was thinking about this today and thinking that 
sometimes, I think I even said this last week, the circumstances in our lives make us think we're involved in a small local calling. Not so. Do you realize, do you understand that the Bridge Christian Fellowship is an internationally called church? That our influence is not to influence North Whidbey Island and perhaps a cadre of Fidalgo and maybe a bit of Bo. <laughs> our focus, gang, is an international focus. Because a kingdom focus is always bigger than a zip code. And so here we are with an international calling on our hearts. That's why we sent our students to the Philippines. That's why Mission Spin is so critically important. That's why, is this Sunday Compassion Sunday? Or is that, this, this Sunday's Compassion Sunday. That's why you need to seriously think about supporting a child through compassion. Because our calling is not local. Our calling is immediate and it's international, just like Jeremiah's calling. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, and what does he say? Make disciples of all nations. That's big. That is a lot bigger than sometimes we think as local Christians. But your calling doesn't mean you have to board a plane. And I love this in the language. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. The word go, peruomai, in the Greek, is written in the aorist passive participle. And that being understood, let's continue on. (laughs) The aorist passive participle, literally, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Whatever you're doing, make disciples. When you get up and head to work in the morning, make disciples. When you come home in the evening, make disciples. When you're with the kids through the day, make disciples. When you're at school, make disciples. When you get on a plane and fly to another country, make disciples. But the thing is, if the church would be about the business of making disciples as we go, we will have an international impact. The word just kind of ripples out that way. You can't stop it. Now, with that in mind... Understand that we're called to a lifestyle of impacting this world. Verse 2. So here's the first prophecy, the first judgment to Egypt. Okay, good, because we're already there. We might as well stay there. (laughs) To Egypt concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the Euphrates River at Carchemish, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. Line up the shield and buckler and draw near for the battle. Harness the horses and mount the steeds. Take your stand with helmets on. Polish the spears. Put on the scale armor. Why have I seen it? They are terrified. They are drawing back. And their mighty men are defeated and have taken refuge in flight without facing back. Terror is on every side, declares the Lord. Let not the swift man flee, nor the mighty man escape in the north beside the river Euphrates. They have stumbled and fallen. Who is that? Who is this that rises like the Nile? Like the rivers whose waters surge about. Egypt rises like the Nile, even like the rivers whose waters surge about. And he has said, I will rise and cover that land. I will surely destroy the city and its inhabitants. Go. (laughs) Go up, you horses. And drive madly, you chariots, that the mighty men may march forward. Ethiopia and Put that handle the the shield, and the Lydians that handle and bend the bow. For that day belongs to the Lord God of hosts. 
the day of vengeance, so as to avenge himself on his foes. And the sword will devour and be satiated and drink its fill of their blood. For there will be a slaughter for, note this, the Lord God of hosts in the land of the north by the river Euphrates. Go up to Gilead and obtain balm, O virgin daughter of Egypt. In vain you have multiplied remedies. There is no healing for you. The nations have heard of your shame, and the earth is full of your cry of distress. For one warrior has stumbled over another. Both of them have fallen down together. Pharaoh Nico is the Pharaoh this prophecy was directed to. He was perhaps one of the greatest, most powerful of the Pharaohs. He came along in his day and restored much of the previous grandeur and glory of Egypt. He marched up to Carchemish, to the Euphrates River, and took on the Assyrians. It was Pharaoh Nico's Egypt who finally caused the mighty Assyria to fall to its knees and be wiped out. And in that conquering, after that battle was over, Pharaoh Nico said, okay, our job is done here, and he withdrew back to Egypt. He left a small contingent up there to fight, just to kind of protect that military uh, conquest. Nebuchadnezzar, now is in Babylon, looks up and sees this small Egyptian army and says, we can take that. And we, this is our chance to make our stand. So Babylon comes up to Carchemish. Pharaoh Nico sees this. says, oh no, we've got to fight. We've got to protect. And he heads up that way. Along the way, a little history lesson for you. This happens in 609 B.C., the, the destruction of the Assyrians. 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 29, drawing back a bit, tells us that Nico, on his way up to fight the Assyrians, asked a certain king's permission to pass through his land. That king was named Josiah. Josiah said, no way, we're going to fight you, which was a stupid error, because a stray arrow in the battle of Megiddo killed Josiah and started from that point forward the downfall of Judah. Well, after that battle again, Nico came back. Now he's going back up to fight against Nebuchadnezzar, and it was called by historians one of the most decisive battles in all history in 605 B.C., the Battle of Carchemish. The Bible talks about it right here. Jeremiah prophesied about it ahead of time. Jeremiah wrote this and said, this is exactly what is going to happen. And the description here is stunning. How Egypt said, mighty Egypt, we will flood like the Nile. We're going to spread out. We're going to go up there. We'll conquer. We got this one. And yet, they were wiped out. Egypt fell. In the Battle of Carchemish, Babylon became the undisputed heavyweight superpower of the world. And it changed history right there. But I want you to note that the credit for this great battle belongs, verse 10, to the Lord God of hosts. Historian will talk about how Nebuchadnezzar changed world history on that day. No, God changed world history. The Lord of hosts did an amazing thing there. Altered the course. Now as we finish out this chapter, I want you to notice some things. Remember, Egypt is always a picture of the world. Note this, the flood of Egypt. Look back at verse 8. Egypt rises like the Nile, even like the rivers whose waters surge about. He said, I will rise and cover that land. I will surely destroy the city and its inhabitants. Egypt is likened to the Nile River in flood stage. How so? Well, the Nile River can flood suddenly and can flood surprisingly and overwhelmingly. And Egypt is like that. 
thought they were like that. Egypt as a picture of the world is like that. What do you mean? Don't think that you can control the world. Don't think, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have the power to overcome the world. The world is like a flood. The world being like Egypt. You can't tame it. You can't channel it. You can't terraform it. You can't. I, by the way, I'm in trouble, I guess, for speaking negatively about the terraforming thing, the Christian terraforming movement. I got word back that I'm in trouble. But I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. They can kill the body. They can't kill the soul. Anyway. <laughs> um, you know what the problem is, bottom line, with that movement, in, in my humble opinion, is it makes it about our conquest of the world. We're not told to conquer the world. We're told to prepare for the kingdom. And the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus will conquer the world and set up His kingdom. Our job is, is, is the conquest of hearts. Anyway, we can't tame this world. Don't be gullible. Don't be Gedalia. Don't take Egypt for granted. Don't think you've got it under control. And that means globally, but it also means personally. Don't think you've got the world under your control. I know I had a drinking problem before, but I'm good. I can have a glass of wine. It's not a problem now. i got it under control. No, you don't. Because it can flood. It can rise in flood stage. It will overwhelm you when you think you're all right. Some of you guys struggling, some of you girls too apparently according to statistics, struggling with pornography can say, yeah, I'm, I'm fine there. I can still watch you know, rated R movies that, that have stuff in them. I, I, I can handle that because I, I've tamed this area. of. No, you haven't. It will go into flood stage and it will overwhelm you. Egypt is a picture of the world. Egypt is like the Nile. The world can flood. The world can overwhelm. We need wisdom from above. Not wisdom from below. James says, if you have bitter jealousy, a selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This is wisdom that does not come down from above. It's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. It says, where wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The flood of Egypt. Read on verse 13. This is the message which the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to smite the land of Egypt. Okay, so now we're moving beyond Carchemish. Now, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon is going to head south and go into Egypt and smite Egypt and undermine Egypt. He's going to kill Pharaoh Hophra, as we talked about. He's going to set up his pavilion in Tokpankase, as we said he would. And so here's this prophecy, verse 14. Declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdal. Proclaim also in Memphis and in Tokpankase and say, take your stand, get yourself ready for the sword has devoured those around you. Note this, he mentions three specific cities here. Why? Because the Jews were living there. Those are the cities the Jews had set up residence in. And so he calls them out specifically, be alerted, here it comes. Verse 15. Why have your mighty ones become prostrate. They do not stand because the Lord has thrust them down. They have repeatedly stumbled. Indeed, they have fallen one against another. Then they say, get up, let us go back to our own people and our native land away from the sword of the oppressor. Verse 17, they cried there, Pharaoh king of Egypt is but a big noise. 
He has let the appointed time pass by. Second thing to note, the noise of Egypt. Egypt is like the world. The noise of Egypt, they're saying here, Pharaoh's just a loud mouth. He's a blowhard. He's a big noise. These people saying this are on, they're in the battle, and they're starting to say, He said we would flood. He said we would overtake. He said we'd overcome, but we're being thrashed here. He's a loud mouth. There's no substance to what he was saying. The noise of Egypt. That's another truism for the world. Our world makes a lot of noise. This is a noisy, noisy place. Noise has been called one of Satan's greatest weapons. Make it noisy and you'll distract them. Show of hands. How many of you get in the car and your finger immediately goes for the radio? Just curious. Yeah, that's me. Sirius XM, I've got like 50,000 channels and I just go deep, 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 deep. It never has to be quiet. I never have to have a moment's peace. I can go out of the cacophony of my home and get into my car and start it up. And the music's playing. The new worship CD, that one's okay. So many people are afraid of silence. So how long could I sit here and not say anything before you started getting fidgety? We don't like silence. Because in the silence, we start to think. And in the silence, we recognize our fears and our doubts and our worries and our stresses. And all of a sudden, it starts to flood in there. Again, it is in the silence that we hear the Lord. And when the rest of our lives are so noisy, how do we expect to hear Him? And I have learned this trick. To get in my car and as my finger is headed for the radio to say, wait, no, no. Just drive and pray. To walk in the door and rather than going straight for the TV or the computer or the iPod, to say, wait. Grab the Word, find a quiet corner and be still. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 30.15 Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest you will be saved in quietness and trust is your strength, but you weren't willing. When the two bombs went off at the finish line of the Boston Marathon, what followed was absolute mayhem. I don't know if you've, if you've seen some of the video footage of that. It's horrifying. horrifying. It's terrible. Noise and a cacophony and, and sound and danger and terror and tragedy. And we need to pray for the victims. But recognize this. Noise and chaos are standard for the world. This is how Satan works. And the noisier he can get your life, the more distracted he can keep you. The more he can fill your ears with sound, the less your heart will be filled with the voice of God. Verse 18. As I live, declares the Lord, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely one shall come who looms up like Tabor among the mountains, or like Carmel by the sea. Jewish mountains. Okay, So he's still getting messages, getting word to the Jewish people here. In fact, these two verses he's talking to Judah. Make your baggage ready for exile, O daughter dwelling in Egypt, for Memphis will become a desolation. It will even be burned down and bereft 
of inhabitants. Mount Tabor is called the Camelback Mountain. It's in the middle of the Valley of Megiddo in Israel. It's a very noticeable, obvious mountain. When you go to Israel, once you've seen it, you'll never forget it. Mount Tabor. It's an obvious one. Mount Carmel, another one. Carmel by the sea. Not in California, in Israel. Carmel is a beautiful mountain. It's one of the first stops we'll go to on the tour, up to the top of Mount Carmel. And these two were landmarks for the Jewish people. And so God immediately grabs their attention and He says, "Make your I love this, make your baggage ready for exile. Is your baggage ready? Are you packed and ready to go? Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to be ready to flee. To be ready to go. At a moment's notice, when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are raised first, and then we who are alive will be caught up to meet them together in the air. Make sure you're packed and ready. And if you're not packed and ready, pack tonight. Okay? <laughs> pack your bags, he says, O oh daughter, because Egypt is going down. Egypt is going down. Gang, the world and its system is going down. It is. So, don't settle into the world. Pack and be ready to go. Verse 20. Egypt is a pretty heifer. <laughs> I've never put those two words together, but okay. Egypt is a pretty heifer, but a horsefly or a gadfly is coming from the north. It is coming. That's talking about Babylon coming down from the north. The horsefly, tiny little fly compared to a big bovine, but it bites. The horsefly, the gadfly, bites livestock. So this Babylon is coming to bite you. Verse 21 also, note this, Her mercenaries in her midst are like fattened calves, for they too have turned back and have fled away together. They did not stand their ground, for the day of their calamity has come upon them, the time of their, of their punishment. Third thing to note, quickly. Talk about the flood of Egypt. We've talked about, um, what was the other thing we talked about of Egypt? The noise, the noise of Egypt and the mercenaries. The mercenaries of Egypt. Who are these mercenaries being talked about here in verse 21? These are the hired guns of, of the Pharaoh. Pharaoh Nico hired outside nations to come fight along with him. We're going to pay you some good bucks. you get your treasures. Come fight. We're going to win this battle. And the mercenaries in the battle start to realize they're not getting anything, so they turn tail and run. They head back to their native lands. They're done with this. They're not going to fight anymore. The mercenaries of the world. Here's the trouble with mercenaries. They're in it for the money. They take what they can get. Take away the possibility of money, and the mercenaries are gone. They flee. They have nothing to do with you. They care nothing for Egypt. They care nothing for the world. By contrast, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. See, the world will tell you God is a harsh judge and we need to look out for each other and protect each other. But when it all comes down, the world flees. And God alone is standing there saying, I love you. I care for you. Listen to Jesus describe the difference between the mercenary and himself. John 10.12 He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He's not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and precious sheep in a world, in an Egypt that will leave you cold, Jesus will never leave you, will never forsake you. 
That promise is secure. Hebrews 13.5 For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. But there's one last shocking thing to know about Egypt, about the world. Verse 22, continuing, Its sound moves along like a serpent, for they move on like an army, and come to her as woodcutters with axes. This again is talking about Babylon flowing down into Egypt. They have cut down her forest, declares the Lord. Surely it will no more be found, even though they are now more numerous than locusts and are without number. The daughter of Egypt has been put to shame, given over to the power of the people of the north. Verse 25, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Behold, I am going to punish Ammon of Thebes. Ammon was the chief god of the Egyptians. Okay, You've heard of perhaps Ammon-Ra. This is Ammon of Thebes. Thebes is in northern Egypt. And Pharaoh. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to punish Egypt along with her gods and her kings, even Pharaoh. And those who trust in him don't trust in Egypt. Because Egypt is going down. Don't put your trust in the Lord. In the world, the world is going down. Put your trust in the Lord. Verse 26, I shall give them over to the power of those who are seeking their lives, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of his officers. Afterwards, however, and here's the shocking thing, it will be inhabited as in the days of old, declares the Lord. Final thing to note about the world, about Egypt. The redemption of Egypt. Do you see what just happened here? I'm going to punish Egypt. I'm going to punish the Pharaoh. I'm going to punish all the false gods. I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to take it down. It's going down. But afterwards, and by the way, this is where the prophecy now moves into the future. Because he says, afterwards, it will be inhabited as in the days of old. In other words, Egypt is going to come back to its old glory. Egypt is going to rise and be great again. The Muslim Brotherhood? No. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. Egypt in the Millennial Kingdom will rise. Will be fully inhabited. Will be a wonderful place to live. And there will be people living there in Egypt. There will be Egyptians living there who are redeemed people. You might say, well, well, Rick, but wait a minute. Israel's oppressor? Israel's great enemy? Israel's first uh, owner? The, the, the slave? The taskmasters of Egypt? Really? Yeah, listen to this. Zechariah 14, verse 16. I'll just read it to you. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations, this is at the end of the, uh, of the, of the tribulation going into the millennial kingdom, of any of the nations that went up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate Sukkah, the Feast of Booths. They're going to go up for a celebration. All the nations will. And it will be that whichever the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So it's kind of a compulsory you know, a festival. You're going to want to go. If the, Note this. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. What is the Feast of Booths? It's that feast Israel still celebrates every year where they pitch tents and little tabernacles and sukkahs, they call them, and they camp out for a week in the sukkah to remind them of their travel through the wilderness. Well, Why would we celebrate the Feast of Booths in the Millennial Kingdom? To honor Israel. 
Here's a chance for all the nations of the world once set against Israel to come up to Jerusalem and enjoy this great celebration and honor God's people, even as they honor the Lord who brought them through as sojourners in Egypt, as sojourners in the world. I find this absolutely fascinating. And it tells us this will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So, of course, you're going to want to go. Rick, can you explain that more? Yes, when we get to Zechariah. But for now. (laughs) Egypt is mentioned as a nation. This is the punishment if they don't come. Which means they're there. Which means they've been redeemed because they enter into the Millennial Kingdom. Which means there are Egyptians who are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, be bought, purchased, redeemed by His blood, and will live in the Millennial Kingdom. As Egypt itself is repopulated and comes up to enjoy the Feast of Booths. That's absolutely astounding. Egypt redeemed for the Millennial Kingdom. Egypt is a picture of the world. The world redeemed for the Millennial Kingdom. Are you going to go like universal salvation on us, Rick? No, no. But I do absolutely believe you've heard me say before in universal invitation that the invitation goes out to the entire earth, the whole world, all of the nations God so loved. And all of the peoples. And the Lord will redeem all of those who come to Him by faith in Jesus Christ, even Egypt. The redemption of Egypt. Speaking of redemption, his final statement in this judgment of Egypt now goes to Israel, to Judah. He says, But as for you, O Jacob, my servant, do not fear nor be dismayed, O Israel. For see, I'm going to save you from afar. And your descendants from the land of their captivity and Jacob will return and be undisturbed and secure with no one making him tremble. O Jacob, my servant, do not fear, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven you, yet I will not make a full end of you. But I will correct you properly and by no means leave you unpunished. Bottom line, the world has no end, no future. It will come to a full end. But it has no future. Our hope is not in the world. But the Lord again here promises a future and a hope for Israel. And by the way, just this month, in Israel, the number of Jews living there has finally surpassed 6 million. This month. And so following the Holocaust, which was designed to destroy the entire Jewish race from the planet, we now live in the year where six million Jews are gathered in the land that God promised. The regathering game is already underway. It's already happening and we see it before our eyes. We can see it because we have faith. Because we read the prophecies. Can a land be born in a day, Isaiah 66 tells us? Can a nation be born all at once? God says, I will not bring you to birth and leave you there. And we have seen it. So don't put your faith in the world. Put your faith in a God who keeps His promises. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for Your Word to us tonight. No, it went long, but I I so thank You, Father, that Your Word is compelling and Your Word is life-changing. And I pray from the full meal that, that You laid before us tonight, we will go home full, but we will continue to chew on these things, pray over them, and see them birthed in our hearts. 
Father, keep us from the world. Don't pull us out of the world until you're ready to take us home, but keep us safe in the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.